Hey everyone, this is Ashley Brassavan from Hoka One One, and you're listening to Nomad Wolf. Get out there and explore your potential. Ever miss the mark you set for yourself? You may be left vulnerable, feeling stuck in a low point, questioning your abilities to go out and perform what's staring back at you again. But in the midst of this dark time, you begin again, step by step, this time a bit smarter. But what's changed? Your approach. You've asked for help along the way, and those people have begun to light your path with answers and belief. My name is Glenn Gabriel, and this is the Nomad Wolf Podcast, a show about life, sport, business, and everything we could eat in between. We connect with high performers, endurance athletes, biohackers, mindset coaches, and pretty much anyone around the world with the appetite to challenge their potential, thus uplifting and unlocking everyone else's ability to seek theirs. So whether you're going from couch to 5K or you're a long workout weekend warrior, we hope you find what you've been looking for or what's been looking for you. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nomad Wolf. It's comeback season, especially with how 2020 has played out so far. I'm sure most of us have been browsing Ultra Sign Up and ITRA to see how we can redefine 2020, or at least end on a runner's high note. Today, we're lucky to be with someone who knows a thing or two about coming back. Ashley Brassovan is with us today, and I couldn't be more excited. She's a road and trail savage, sponsored by Hoka One One. In 2018, she represented Team USA in the World Long Distance Mountain Running Championship. And last year, she was a U.S. national champ at the USATF Half Marathon Trail Championship in Wisconsin. This year, before COVID canceled literally everything, she crushed the Bandera 25K, snatching first overall. Outside of running, she also works full-time as a sustainability professional focusing on energy efficiency, water efficiency, and renewable energy strategy and implementation. She's also a coach not for energy and water efficiency, but running efficiency, I guess. Ashley, thanks for making some time to chat on Nomad Wolf. Yeah, thanks for having me, Glenn. I feel like you know more about me than I know about me, so you could probably <laughs> do my interview for me. I try and do some, some pretty uh, humble research prior to actually getting to know you. So yeah, it's, it's awesome to uh, actually connect with you and then uh, talk to you during this time. So before we get into the interview, as is tradition with this series, well, since, since you have like two, maybe like two and a half full-time jobs, that you're a pretty avid coffee drinker, is that correct to assume? Yes, that is very accurate. I love coffee and my caffeine in the morning. Perfect. So do I. So I have to ask, how do you like your coffee? And if you have a favorite coffee shop, either locally or around the world, where where would that be? Ooh, so I have two of them. I like my coffee black because I believe if you have good beans and they're roasted right, that you shouldn't really need that much else in it. Um, I occasionally put a splash of like soy milk or almond milk, but my favorite up until last year was boxcar coffee roasters up in Boulder and they like hand grind each cup. Um, which is super awesome. And then last year I went to Chamonix, France for the first time. And there's this little coffee shop I found called Moody Coffees, Coffee Roasters. And that was like the talk of the town. So I had to try it and it definitely lived up to the hype. 
Um, yeah, I've heard of uh, Boxcar Coffee before from, I guess, Addy in our, our previous episode. So I, next time I'm in uh, Colorado, I definitely have to swing by that place. Yes, I feel like everyone, that's the one everyone recommends in Colorado. So it's, it's right on Pearl Street. It's awesome. Perfect. So jumping into the meat and potatoes of this interview, after digging into your profile a bit, and I, I want to emphasize a bit, um, it seems like running has kind of taken you to some pretty incredible heights and um, some pretty dark lows. Uh, back in high school, you won the Foot Locker Championship, which is like every cross-country kid's dream. I think you also won state all four years, which is casually no big deal. And then you even went to Duke on scholarship. And for most kids, uh, that's kind of like a dream school unless you're a Tar Heel. But I believe two weeks into your freshman year, that's when your story had a major plot twist. Can you kind of shed light into that period in your life? Yeah, so I was definitely a highly recruited athlete um, coming out of high school. I won seven state titles and then Foot Locker too. So I think there's definitely a lot of pressure on me to perform in college. And I really, you know, had the, the luxury, I guess, of only of pretty much being able to choose anywhere I wanted to go in for college. And I really was down to Duke and Stanford, and Duke kind of won my heart over. Um, so remember, I. I trained really hard that summer, went into freshman year. Um, again, there was a lot of pressure on me. I was on a full ride for all four years. So, you know, I think as everyone knows, D1 scholarships are kind of hard to come by, especially full rides. So I think that put a little bit more pressure on me. And then, yeah, two weeks in, I got hamstring tendonitis and I literally didn't race at all until halfway through junior year. It was ACC's cross country my junior year. So I was injured with probably every injury in the book and had two femoral stress fractures um, between freshman and sophomore year. And so I think that I that really made me um, look into, you know, who is Ashley? How do I define myself and how do I kind of combat all of this pressure? that I have and when I'm not able to perform. And so that was kind of a wake up call on all fronts from a mental health perspective, a physical health perspective. I mean, you just don't get injuries out of nowhere for two years straight. There are a lot of underlying issues that I was kind of forced to resolve during that time. Um, and also a lot of mental health issues that I was forced to also resolve. So I think it was a good and a bad thing. Um, so the hardest but best probably two years that transformed you know the last decade of my life when it comes to any you know less than ideal situation it's there's always a silver lining it's just really hard to see what that is in the moment and sometimes you can only really get a full grasp on that silver lining like in hindsight right a lot of us use running or any type of exercise as like a great way to cope with anxiety, but since, you know, running was obviously taken out because of injury, what kind, what else helped you, I guess, cope with that anxiety? Yeah, I think you definitely see this a lot in runners too, especially distance runners where their whole happiness or their whole life is relying upon running or they rediscover or discover running. Um, as a coping mechanism for anxiety. I think you see this a lot in the ultra running world too. You see a lot of recovering addicts from drugs or alcohol who turn to ultra running in these crazy races as a coping mechanism. 
um, which is definitely a better way to cope than drugs and alcohol. But um, yeah, I think when you're injured, it tends to kind of screw up your life. And so I really feel like college gave me a good opportunity to learn what else I could use as a coping mechanism. Um, it definitely took a lot of trial and error, but I think one thing that I was definitely guilty of was not being vulnerable and opening up in high school and I think the beginning of college. And so I think just really learning to embrace the community and embrace friends and realize that people were willing to help and willing to listen and just really becoming closer to friends and to my family really helped with coping. Um, obviously you can't you know, have, tell them every little detail and have them basically be your therapist. I think it is good sometimes to seek third party help, which I also um, did in freshman year of college for the first time. Um, and I think just learning that I do love other things. Like I did love pieces of school. Like I really am passionate about the environment and sustainability. And so just really focused on other things that made me happy outside of running. And I think that kind of all ties back to balance and where I'm at now and, you know, how I di diversified my life a little bit away from running. And I think as a result, it has made me a better runner and a better human, but has allowed me to just cope with anxiety and be more vulnerable um, in the rest of my life. Yeah, I love that you brought up that you weren't afraid to reach out to your friends, your family, and then also seek help. In, in an article on Xterra, I, I think you said, people get embarrassed and don't want to get help, but I wanted to get through it and go beyond it. I think it takes a mature and determined person to recognize that you have a problem and seek the help to find your way out and back onto your path in life. And that's awesome to hear that. Um, yeah, you actually took time to rebuild your community and then also seek help at, at, at Duke. A lot of people feel like they have to figure out their own internal struggles alone. And that sometimes can be so heavy and lead to more anxiety. Right. Yeah, no, it's crazy to see what people hide too. I mean, it's really sad. I know there's definitely a shift towards focusing more on mental health in the US alone, but I still feel like there's a lot of people where I talk to them and they are hiding these deep things and they don't open up um, and they feel like they have to deal with it alone. And that leads to depression. It's led to suicide for a couple of my friends. And so, you know, when you see the other side of it, of what it could cause, I think that gives me at least more motivation to work through things on my own. I don't want to be 60 years old and alone and still dealing with depression and anxiety. I think I've definitely had a motivation. I've seen that happen to people and people in my family. And so it's given me motivation to work through my own struggles to make my life better and to be a better person for everyone else. Um, I do think it's a little bit selfish some of the time if you just you know, are constantly in this struggle and you're not reaching out and you're not trying to get the support and you're not, you know, giving back to the people in the way you potentially could if you didn't have all of this anxiety and depression inside of you. Yeah. I also feel like it, it can be sometimes, um, I guess, depending on the circumstances, mental health is always like a, a constant, I don't want to say a constant fight, but everybody is working through something no matter where your life is at or where your storyline is at in, in your life. Um, and it, it, it's sometimes pretty hard or tough to find good quality resources or 
you know, qualified resources to kind of reach out to. Do you know of any athletes or any professional resources that people could turn to for athletes or, or just for regular people? Yeah, I mean, I would encourage people not to just Google ways to have less anxiety in their lives. I, I think um, I'm guilty you know, of that for sure. <laughs> I think everyone uses WebMD a little bit. We're all guilty guilty of that to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if if it's bad enough, I would encourage people to seek professional help. And I don't think there's any one person that I would recommend. I think the first step is really figuring out what you need to address. Um, Where is your anxiety coming from? Is it coming from childhood trauma? Is it coming from your job? Is it coming from being injured? Um, Just kind of figuring out back, taking a step back and figuring out where your stress and anxiety is coming from. If you don't know that, then um, just starting with someone who's more of a generalist and terms of therapy and can work through a lot of issues. But I think for me, my, my sources of anxiety have shifted over the years. And so the people that I've seen and worked through that with um, from a professional standpoint have shifted as well. There's not one person who's right for everyone. So I'd really encourage um, anyone who wants to seek professional help to really, you know, do some internal digging and figure out what that source of anxiety is being caused by and what they actually want to treat and then go from there. And um, I mean, referrals are always the best if you can look in your local area um, and find someone who I know it's kind of weird with the COVID situation, but once people get back to face to face, I think that's more ideal than virtual Um, but who knows? I mean, the therapy industry could switch to virtual too, and then you could see anyone across the world. But I think getting a referral from someone who's looking to treat the same type of disorder as you is always a good thing. But then, you know, realizing your friends and family are there for you to a certain extent. They're not there to listen to you 24 seven, um, and help you deal with your problems. But I think they are, most of them are probably there to help if you have, you know, a moment of relapse or you need, you know, a minute or two of their time to help, help you through something. Yeah. You kind of don't want to be known as that, that friend or that family member that's always, always looking for some help or, or something like that. It's always, it's good to, you know, reach out to a, a professional or, um, I like the point that you brought up that, you know, the stresses in your life change um, depending on, you know, where you're at. So having a professional resource might also change depending on the current situation, right? So, yeah, I think that's yeah, a really definitely. good point. Yeah, it's um, not a one-size-fits-all solution. I think that's just something that I've learned and for everyone to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so dialing it back to running and competing, how many years did you, I guess, take off? Yeah, running has kind of been a roller coaster, just like life is. Um, so I don't, I would say I took two years off. I was injured most of freshman and sophomore year, like I said, in college. And then I ran very minimally. I mean, I don't know how many races that I I ran in college between junior and senior year, but it wasn't very many because I got two additional femoral stress fractures. So I kind of strung together like 20 to 30 mile weeks, junior and senior year. And I don't even know how I was able to compete off of that, but I did. Um, 
And then I kind of went into, I stayed at Duke and decided to focus on my career and got, um, went into a master's program at Duke for energy management. And so I had all intentions of doing a fifth year and then right in same time frame in August of the fifth year that I was going to use as a red shirt year, um, I got my fourth femoral stress fracture in four years. Jeez. And so at that point I was, um, not medically banned, but very close to that. And so I decided to just forego that year of racing because I was going to be out the first six or seven months and cross country was really my passion anyway. And just truly focus on my career and the rest of my life and things outside of running. Um, so I would say I still ran and I even ra raced my first half marathon for fun with like a group of girls in my program the second year of grad school, um, but really had no intentions of ever getting back into competing and then moved out to Colorado, got a job in energy efficiency out here and um, reconnected with an old friend who is actually a coach and he convinced me to get back into competitive running. And I ended up qualifying for the 2016 Olympic marathon trials, like six months after that in the half marathon, which I like never thought was going to happen. And that was kind of the spark to me getting back into competitive running. I was like, Oh, I basically took the last like six years off of competing because I didn't essentially run in college <laughs> and yeah. um, kind of relearned that I loved it. And I had plenty of time to train and Colorado is awesome and has a great running community. And so I think it just kind of fell back into my lap and that slowly after a few years transformed into mountain and trail running, which is also strange being from Florida and having zero hills to run on for most of my life. I guess that that move to Colorado was almost kind of like a, a clean slate, right? In a previous interview you said, uh, if my mental happiness is there and that you're healthy, that you could always bring it in a race. And, you know, for example, when I moved to, to Bangkok, um, it was such a clean slate for me to just redefine myself. And I'm sure you've felt the same way when you moved to, to Colorado. Yeah, definitely. I mean, your move was a lot, a lot farther than mine, but I do think, you know, moving clear across the world or the country in my case is a good way to like completely start with a clean slate. No one knows you. You're a new person. I knew no one when I came out here. Um, I knew a couple of college friends eventually who moved out here, but yeah, I mean, it's a time where you can really redefine yourself there's no stigma attached with you no one knows more than a week of your personality and so you can really focus on you know who do you want to be the rest of your life um including you know my career and in running so it's kind of a cool opportunity and a scary opportunity to just you know start completely over yeah and you brought back running or running competitively back into your life i guess 2018, like I said in the intro, um, you got eighth in the, the World Long Distance Mountain Running Championship in Poland, uh, and then second for Team USA, and then you were the U.S. National Champ in Wisconsin, um, and then 2016, you were sixth overall in the California International Marathon with a time of, I think, 2.40, and then your half marathon time, 1.14. Super impressive comeback, I mean, if you ask me. And more recently, you ran the uh, 2020 Olympic trials, right? Yep, I did. And just curious, how, how did that go? 
Yeah, it's, it's a very different experience um, from 2016. I think I relearned that I love trail running and mountain running a lot more than road running. Um, but 2016 was actually my first marathon. So I was just super excited for the experience. Like having your first marathon be the Olympic trials was awesome. Um, and then four years later, this is only my fourth marathon. I ran CIM twice in between that. Um, and I've had a couple injuries over the past year and a half. So I had two more femoral stress fractures. Um, so I think my coach and I, I mean, I ran Worlds actually in 2019. It was in November in Patagonia. And so there was really only like three months um, in between Worlds and the trials. And we just kind of made an executive decision. Hey, we're going to go after it for Worlds. Um, mountain running's where your passions lie. We're going to take a break and then we're going to gear up again for the trials. But I think we're going to be super conservative so that you can have not be burned out and go into the rest of the year feeling fresh for, you know, the mountain season, which isn't going to happen. So maybe I could have trained harder, but didn't know COVID was going to happen this year. Um, so I don't know. It was, I just went into it thinking it's a fun experience. You know, road racing isn't the thing that I'm the most passionate about, but it was fun to see the road running community. And I'm from the Southeast. So Atlanta, it was fun to race in Atlanta and have my family and friends out there. Mm -hmm. uh, it almost felt like home turf. And, um, I just wanted to have fun with it. I mean, I wasn't overly excited about my performance. I would say I was very neutral about it, but, um, mm -hmm. I think it's about what I expected based off of my conservative training approach. I mean, given the comeback itself, the fact that you're able to compete at a, at that level again, it must be such a surreal feeling because I anticipate like after all of the injuries and, you know, after all of the low moments, you probably never expected that you would ever get back to this part of your life before where you're running and competing again. Did you like, did you feel like you kind of like lost that part of your life for good at one moment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, at 18, I was diagnosed with osteoporosis, which is like something you don't want to hear when you're 18. And I had multiple people at Duke tell me that, I would never run again, let alone compete again. Um, I've had six femoral stress fractures, which also is not a great history of injuries. So yeah, I mean, I think there's a point where, yes, I'm very grateful to be running and competing again. Um, and then the competitive side of me comes out and I'm like, okay, I shouldn't just be grateful for running at this point. I've had, you know, history of osteoporosis and all these injuries and people who told me I couldn't run again. I think I'm over that hump and now I'm back to, you know, I should be competitive and I should, you know, try to excel in the sport based on the past couple of years. And so I think that's kind of where I'm at. And, you know, when, yeah, when it doesn't become fun anymore, then I'm not going to do it. But right now I am having fun and it's, you know, an outlet from work and the rest of my life. Um, and it isn't my whole life. So I, I do love it. And I think I'm at the point where I'm very grateful to be competing, but I'm also, you know, pursuing the highest level in the sport again. And I'm, I have goals at that level too. Hell yeah. So I love asking this question because it's always interesting to hear what people say, given their perspective after tough periods in their life. Um, so for most people, there aren't too many things that we'd ever take back or uh, that we feel like we regret or, you know, do differently since every moment has put us in the this position where we're at right now 
And I'd say that we're pretty damn proud of where we're at right now. Um, but having gone through that very big high and then obviously the low um, and the work that has led to this epic comeback that you've, you've had, um, if you had a chance to go on a walk with your younger Duke self during her lowest moment, what would you have told, told that version of yourself? probably just to chill out. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel like I do have, and I've kind of explained this to other people, the effortless perfection um, persona, but I'm definitely type A and I want to do the best at everything and I'm super competitive, but sometimes it's okay to just not be the best and not be perfect and just be okay having fun and living life and not having goals and not looking five or 10 years in the future. Um, so just, I would tell my younger self to definitely just enjoy the present. You know, you have the rest of your life to, to live. Um, don't think about the future so much and just enjoy the present because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I, I honestly feel like this COVID situation is a good example of that. Like you, you don't know when you're going to be on lockdown or when you won't have the ability to go travel the world and see friends. Um, I mean, this is a unique situation, but I think it just, living every day um so that you won't regret it and just remembering that it's okay to not be perfect and it's okay to not think about the future all the time and just live in the present i think that's a lesson i've slowly learned and i'm still learning but my younger duke self did not always or at all ever think of that i feel like whenever we set some pretty gnarly expectations and whenever those expectations are not met or they're they're far from it right that's when that's when we're taken out of the moment especially and it, it's hard it's hard to operate and have perspective um, when you're always like trying to hit an expectation that you know others set for you and then you set for yourself it, it, it's always it does it doesn't end well but yeah Ashley we're coming to the end of our interview um, but I want to thank you so much for opening up during this coffee talk. I'm sure some of us out there have been looking for some needed inspiration, especially during this 2020 year uh, for our own comeback story. And this talk, I feel like it is a definite tool. Just curious what, since trials are now over and obviously you're, you can now focus on, on the trails again. Um, do you think you'll stay at the, the marathon or the 30 K distance for your upcoming races or are you ever entertaining the idea to leap up to any ultra distances like the 50K? I think for now, I'm pretty good. I mean, eventually I think I'll do a 50K. Um, I think that's definitely um, attainable, but I, I really love the sub, sub ultra distance. I still have leg speed. I still have a lot of goals. I think I want to accomplish at that distance. So I don't foresee myself moving any higher than that. Um, eventually I probably will do a 50 or 100 miler, but I'm not in any rush. I really love sub ultras and I love quick mountain races and quick descending. And I have no interest in power hiking and doing <laughs> like 10 minute miles for a hundred miles or slower than that. Um, that being said, if the only race that happens the rest of the year happens to be a 50 or hundred miler, there's nothing that says I won't hop in it to just be competitive again. But Hopefully that is not going to be the situation. 
for sure for sure um awesome well we'll you know keep a lookout for you regardless of the distance you're um obviously crushing it in in the shorter trail races so um i actually also heard in a different podcast that when it comes to trail racing or even ultra marathons that you should just take your time in the sport like everybody wants to rush to 100 miles and that's fine and dandy because obviously the the quote-unquote mountain or the the challenge is there so you know everybody wants to get there but when it comes to I guess running in general there's definitely some truth in taking your time and I guess mastering the the smaller distances as you build up to longer ones right yeah, I would agree with that. I would say the 100 miler gets a lot more love than the sub ultra distance. Um, and it, everyone seems to all of a sudden get into trail and ultra running, and then they all of a sudden want to do a 100 miler. Um, and I mean, there's most of the iconic races are the 100 miles, right? You know, Western States, UTMB. I mean, all of those longer races have been around um, for a lot longer than the sub ultra. And I think there's a part of me that's just, I'm a very stubborn person in general. So wherever the masses go, I tend to go the opposite direction. I don't think that's necessarily the full story here, but um, yeah, I think I definitely want to take my time, especially with my injury history. I mean, mm. having six bone injuries is not super conducive to running a hundred miles. So I think my body and health would appreciate me staying with the shorter distances as long as possible. Definitely. Um, so I only have three more questions left, but before we get into those, uh, where can people find you, connect with you, if you want to share your Instagram handle, or um, if you have a website or a coaching service, we can plug that in right now. Yeah, I'm um, on Instagram, Strava, Facebook. I think Instagram, just Ashley underscore Brassavan. Um, most social media platforms, you can just do Ashley Brassavan. I'm on Strava, too. LinkedIn, if you want professional connections. Um, and I'm a coach, more of a consultant with Chasky Running. So they just launched um, this past week. I'm not currently coaching there, but I am providing some consulting and mentoring services and then um, kind of been doing some high school recruiting. So if there are any high schoolers listening to this podcast, I um, help to facilitate coach athlete contacts um, with D1, D2, and D3 schools. So that's kind of a fourth side job that I've started a couple of years ago. Jeez, bring on, bring on the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> you Lots need to be coffee. sponsored by Boxstar. <laughs> I know, I should pitch that. Yeah, you should. Um, okay, so last three questions. Um, what do you live by daily? Is there a quote, mantra, something that you use as grounding or something that you adhere to? Yeah, so this is kind of a crazy one, but it's kind of been um, my, my mantra for, you know, 10 or 12 years. And so it's when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Um, and I just think, you know, it's, it's really showing, you know, you should expect adversity, you should expect obstacles in life. And if you're prepared for the worst, you only really exceed expectations. But I mean, I think I just wake up every day and expect lemons and expect to have to make lemonade. And if you live life like that, I feel like you're always a glass half full person because you're always exceeding your expectations. Um, 
And so that's just kind of something that's in my head every day. When I hit an obstacle, I'm like, oh, I've been through worse. We're going to you know, make some lemonade out of these lemons today. And so I think it's just given me a better perspective on life. It's kind of a weird one. I know everyone has these very traditional phrases that they like, but I really like that one. No, that's really good. I, I think the fact that you're expecting lemons, um, that's always, that. I think that's a proper expectation to set. Uh, as opposed to, obviously we can, you know, set really high goals and be really ambitious, but we also have to expect the, the lemons that are going to be thrown into our path as well, right? Yeah, I like to call it being a realist. I like that mantra too. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your essential or favorite pieces of gear you need for your run? Ooh, my top one is wireless headphones. I don't know why I didn't discover these a long time ago, but they are a game changer. Because um, I tend to, I do most of my runs alone. I mean, we meet up with people probably like a day or two, maybe two or three days a week. But I love Taylor Swift and I love just listening to her on repeat <laughs> at 6 a.m. in the morning for some reason. And so that's what I've been doing for like two years straight. And so my wireless headphones help to facilitate. Taylor Swift songs. Um, awesome. <laughs> we have to include your uh, Spotify handle so we can tap into your playlist too. <laughs> I don't have Spotify. I actually have bought all of her albums and I have oh, them really? rearranged in different. I support Taylor Swift. She's, she's one of my role models, but yeah, I have all of her. I have a bunch of different playlists and they all vary depending on my moods, but they're all like almost fully Taylor Swift and then occasional other 90s pop songs sprinkled in there. Awesome. Do you have a specific brand of uh, wireless headphones or? No, I just go on Amazon and I normally order a couple of them because all sometimes I shove them in my vest and then they've popped out on 14ers before at the top of mountains and so I tend to lose things um that's understandable I I also have gone through so many wireless headphones that yeah I'm, I'm still looking for a sponsor you know eventually it'll come <laughs> yeah just keep them coming in like one a month would be great yeah um and our last question what makes you feel the most alive Ooh, I think this is like a multi-tiered answer, but um, I definitely think just being happy and not having anxiety um, and just really living life to the fullest and embracing the present makes me feel alive. But I also am a mountain runner and somebody in a mountain and being at the top and just having views um, also just makes me feel alive and away from people and away from reality. And so when I'm escaping, um, actually the mountains and the ocean make me feel really alive and just not being around people, but being around nature and feeling connected to the natural environment. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Nomad Wolf podcast. It really means so much that you guys take the time out of your day to spend it with me and our guests. I really hope that today's content here and on the blog helps you on your path. If you're a new listener and like what you hear, feel free to hit the subscribe button. We'll be interviewing more Nomad Wolves and unpacking more secrets and stories that you don't want to miss. 
I'm going to leave you guys right here. But in the meantime, take care, take care of each other, stay present, and do your best to move forward, even if it's only a little bit. I'll catch you next time. Peace.